0: Hello and welcome to the Dangerous Creatives Podcast. We're ready to dive into the deep end of running a creative business, the joys, the sorrows, and the shit no one wants to talk about. I'm your host, Kristen Sweeting, a traveling wedding photographer and coach for creative business owners who scaled two businesses while single parenting, so I know it doesn't always go as planned. Hold on to your seats as we explore what wholeness looks like within your creative journey and how growth doesn't always come in the ways we expect. Well, hey, and welcome to the Dangerous Creatives Podcast. I'm your host, Kristen Sweeting, and I have a really exciting guest with me today, Rose Crouch, who is a licensed therapist here in Nashville. And a good friend of mine is coming to talk with us about uh, recovering from religious trauma as a creative and the way that some of our past experiences really get in the way of blocking our own creativity and our growth and how to recognize some of those things if you're in the process of healing or maybe haven't even thought about it we're we're just gonna dive into it today so I'm so excited you're here Rose thanks for having this conversation and um and I'm excited to have you introduce yourself a little bit more to the
1: to the podcast Yeah, thank you. I'm glad to be here, too. Thank you so much for having me. Like you said, my name is Rose Crouch. I have lived in the Nashville area pretty much my whole life. I was um, not born here, but I was raised here. Moved away for college and grad school, came back, and I live here with my husband and our son. We have a a six-and-a-half-year-old Um, And I have been a therapist for about six years now. Um, I graduated from MTSU with my degree in clinical counseling and spent a few years working in rehabs, doing work with dual diagnosis clients, recovering from substance use and trauma. Um, And then I started my own practice about two years ago, maybe two and a half years ago. And I've really niched down into working with um, primarily complex PTSD, a lot of work with creatives, alumni creatives, um, and then a lot of work with people coming out of cults or high control religions. So it's something I'm really, I really love working with people who who have had these experiences. I'm really excited to talk about it today.
0: Yeah. Um, Well... Maybe first tell me from your perspective, why you think we're talking about this on this podcast? (laughs) Like, why Mm. is it worth having this Mm -hmm. conversation about religious trauma and what it looks like for creatives? Um, Mm. Yeah. Why is it worth having this conversation? Do you think?
1: Yeah, I think it's so worthwhile because I think that the relationship between how trauma and traumatic experiences impact Our thoughts and our emotions and our um, body responses to things is so huge and honestly very misunderstood by a lot of people. And religious trauma is a little bit newer in the field. There's not been quite as much research done on it. And so we're really just starting to see what the impact of having kind of adverse religious or faith experiences can be on people. Um, particularly if you grew up in like a purity culture focused environment, which a lot of people here in the South have grown up in that environment. There's so much that gets baked in around the way that we express ourselves, the way that we trust ourselves, um, our sexuality, um, the way that we interact with other people. So it really can kind of feed into lots of different parts of our lives, And creativity is a big piece of that. So if you do creative work and you grew up religious, you're probably going to feel or see some overlap there. So I think it's so important.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It, it was years ago, but like a long time into my creative career before I realized the real connection between sexuality and creativity Mm -hmm. and how, when you feel kind of like locked down in one area of life, it can, it can kind Mm -hmm. of bleed into other areas too. So um I'm so excited to be talking about this with you today. Um
1: Thank you, yeah.
0: Is it is it a passion of yours from a personal experience or um or like what kind of drew you to this type of work?
1: Sure. So I um it is a personal experience for me. I grew up very religious. I was homeschooled all the way until I went to college and grew up going to um, a small church in Franklin, um, a Presbyterian church. So I spent quite a lot of years very, very deeply ingrained in uh, religious culture, purity culture, Um and really evangelical Christianity as a whole. And for me, I've personally deconstructed and left the church and consider myself more agnostic at this point. Um, But it was such a huge turning point for me um, and such a huge identity loss and identity shift when I did start deconstructing and there were no resources for it. I didn't know where to turn. I didn't know who to talk to. I didn't really even understand the full impact of how growing up with all of those beliefs and having them so ingrained in me was impacting me on such a daily basis. So it took me many, many years and a lot of therapy and a lot of working through my own issues to really make all those connections. And to understand, okay, this is how I make sense. It makes sense that I have believed these things. It makes sense that I've had trouble trusting and expressing myself. It makes sense that I've had trouble with boundaries and and creativity. So once I became a therapist, um, and I started gravitating towards doing trauma work with people. I also started doing a lot of work with people in this part of the country, particularly LGBTQ folks who had had really difficult experiences within the church, um, within people who were religious and um, their family relationships. And so doing that work, it felt like I was able to really kind of give back to an older version of myself and say like, okay, here's somebody who understands, you know, the culture behind this, who gets what you're going through and who is invested in helping you be more reconnected to yourself and a sense of spirituality and and relationships that feel authentic. So um, that's a little bit of the journey that it took to get here for me, um, but I really love it.
0: Well, for someone who maybe didn't grow up this way, what, when you say like religious trauma or, purity culture, what do those things mean to you? And what are some of those deeper beliefs that kind of, you know, get into our brains and maybe affect us, whether we are still religious or not later down the
1: road? Sure. So I would, there's lots of different kind of definitions for trauma out there. Um, One that is a helpful working definition for me is trauma is something that we experience when something overwhelms our ability to cope with it and process it. Um, we all respond to it in different ways. Sometimes we get more shut down. Sometimes we get more activated. Um, but it's something that happens that makes our brain body system feel very unsafe. And in particular, so you have have kind of the umbrella trauma and then underneath that I would put complex trauma, which is more, more talking about, um, traumatic experiences that happen on a consistent basis over a period of time. Within complex trauma, we have relational trauma, which is when traumatic things happen to us from people that are supposed to be safe for us. So if you think about things like childhood abuse, um, childhood sexual abuse, these are things that are often happening by somebody that we are supposed to be able to trust and feel safe with. So kind of with those things in mind, I would put religious trauma underneath the relational trauma aspect It's um, experiences that we have and beliefs that we develop about who we are and how to relate with the world that can often be very detrimental and harmful to us. And they come from a place that's supposed to feel really safe, that we're told is the safest place in the world, usually from a very young age. So it creates this kind of disconnect, right? Um, So that's how I would describe religious trauma. Um, Expanding on that a little bit, I think... It's often a sense of um, feeling harmed or unsafe within a certain set of practices, um, worldviews that often go along with really conservative religious folks um, and ways of interacting with the people around us that can feel really, really difficult or oppressive. Um, So that's where some of the trauma comes in, particularly from religion. Um, purity culture is something that often goes along with religion. It's more, I don't know, you may be able to speak to it a little bit more than I can, but purity culture, I would define as a focus on keeping your body and your sexuality very pure and clean as a way of, um, upholding and expressing a certain faith. Um, so people wouldn't make pledges to not have sex until they got married, to only sleep with one person for their whole life. Um, lots of messages going towards women and girls in particular around modesty and dressing in a certain way so as not to create temptation for other people. Um, A large focus on heterosexuality is the only way that's appropriate to be sexual. Um, So purity, culture, and religion often go together, but they're a little bit separate.
0: Yeah, totally. That's super helpful. Yeah. Well, so if, if we're having this conversation and I know both of us asked for some questions on mm-hmm. the internet, some people are still like, okay, how do I remain religious and also mm-hmm. heal from my religious trauma? Or how do I stay in my faith tradition and still be creative and free and all of these things? Do you have any thoughts on that? I know that maybe wasn't our either of our paths, but like mm-hmm. how do you kind of hold that tension and, um, and like do some of that healing while still within a certain community or can you?
1: Yeah. So that's a really beautiful question. Um, and it reminds me of a quote from a book I read recently called the heroine's journey, uh, by Maureen Murdoch. And she says in there that we have to hold the tension until the new form emerges. I think that's really true when we're talking about spirituality and creativity as well. Um, uh, you know, a lot of people come to me for religious trauma work and think that <clears throat> they have to completely leave their faith of their religion in order to heal from the trauma. And I think in some cases that can be true. And in many cases, it's not, it really depends on the person. Um, but usually when I'm working with somebody who is wanting to maintain connection to a sense of spirituality, while they're recovering from the trauma, we talk about a sense of holding tension between what was and what is coming, and a sense of expansion. So what I have found is that often religion sets in place very kind of like concrete ideas of what is right and what is moral um, and what we should value and what we should be focusing on. Kind of like there's one right path to God, um, which feels really good and lovely and safe for a lot of people until it doesn't. And so I think the challenge is how do I expand my um how i receive and express a sense of connection to something outside of myself so i'll often tell people you have a lot of freedom here you can choose to feel connected to other faith traditions and learn about them you can kind of think outside the box and then bring into your own faith tradition what feels helpful and supportive for you Um, it's kind of like taking the rules out so to speak um, and that mentality I've found has been very helpful for people. I don't know. I'm curious your thoughts on that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think that that's, I think that that's so good too. And, um, I'm just thinking like I, when we're coaching and I, I don't usually coach people about religious trauma, but I think where I see it crop up for people is more on, I'm trying to make these things happen in my business and the things getting in the way for me are, am I allowed to want to make more money? and a lot of times that ties back to like a core belief or something that is kind of really deep in there or um am i allowed to put myself out there like is that selfish does that say something bad about me um am i allowed to be creative or express myself mm-hmm. in certain ways it's it's interesting coming from from that side of it of of seeing like certain blocks get in the way and then trying to figure out what might the root of that be mm-hmm. um and for me a lot of it was was those things of if i was if i had a you know path set out of this is how you do it and then everything will will fall in place if you do all the right things and then you get down the path and realize that's not true then you're kind of having to like rework all your all your beliefs and you
1: know yeah. <laughs> work backwards it so much shame right it triggers these huge shame spirals um i think some of the most common beliefs that I see really ingrained in people with religious trauma are a sense that um, they're not good. So we think there's nothing good about me. Um, There's nothing good about my body. Um, I don't have any value or worth outside of my faith. And so rediscovering a sense of what makes me valuable and worthwhile as a human, if I'm moving away from believing a certain thing, that's a pretty deep belief. Um, How can I trust myself? How can I trust other people? And if we don't trust ourselves, it's really hard to put creative expressions out there or to take leaps in our businesses, right? Because there's a sense of like, well, if something goes wrong, it's probably because it's me and I'm bad. And then the shame triggers again, right? So it all just kind of like connects in this big circle.
0: Yeah. And I feel like it's so prolific in our society too, that even if this wasn't your background, Mm -hmm. a lot of those same themes of being afraid to trust ourselves, being afraid to put ourselves out there, not trusting other people, they still kind of – they still grab hold of, of a lot of people whether or not you were directly like in that kind of faith tradition or not.
1: Uh, Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I think the, the beliefs that we develop are usually there for a reason. That's one of the questions I try to ask my clients a lot is how does this make sense? Like, where does this come from? Because I do think that we all make sense based on the context of our stories. And so if we can trace back the beliefs and the stories, we can usually find some kind of anchor point, whether it's in, you know, a past religious experience or something completely different. So being able to have that understanding of how does this make sense? Where does it come from? And can I choose something different moving forward? Because we, I created this story as a way to make myself feel safe or connected to another person or within a system that I was living in. And if I'm choosing to change my relationships or my identity, I can write new stories for myself, which feels very scary if we don't trust ourselves. And it takes a lot of kind of trial and error, right? Kind of like trying on different outfits and seeing what fits. And it takes a willingness to maybe put on some outfits that don't fit quite right or feel quite as good at first, if that analogy makes sense.
0: Totally. Yeah. Would you help me work through one for me? Um, Mm -hmm. Like what if I, if I am, you know, running my business and afraid to, um, you know, my coach is telling me to charge more and -hmm. that's kind of bringing up something about, am I, am I worth that? Or am I valuable? Or, Will my community reject me for me putting out into the world that I'm valuable? What would be, would that be one that we could like work through of like, how do we kind of start making some connections backwards or rewriting Mm -hmm. that story?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I think probably the first question I would ask would be if making more money and putting yourself out there feels really scary, what's going to happen if you fail and what's going to happen if you succeed? So is that going to be all good if you succeed and you charge this money and people pay it, or do you feel like there's going to be something bad that's attached to that? So kind of identifying what the fear is underneath that.
0: Yeah. Okay. So if I succeed at it, then the fear is my community will reject me because mm-hmm. uh, because I'm not I'm standing out
1: from mm-hmm. what's supposed to be the right thing to do. Sure. So in that case, I think there's a a belief about what we're supposed to do and how we're supposed to take up space in the world, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I know that you grew up religious, so it probably resonates, but... We're kind of told not to take up space in certain ways. We're supposed to, you know, serve the greater good. And if we're doing something that should only be pointing kind of towards God or towards our church community. And so it can feel like we're being sinful or selfish or stepping out if we're doing something that's just reflective of us and our work and our identity. So it probably feels a little bit unsafe, right? What if you notice that I did this and you recognize where it's coming from, And I think when you said there's a fear of rejection, that that's very true. I think a lot of times as humans, we just want to be seen and heard and loved and cared about, and we are deeply wired for connection. So to do something that we feel might cause rejection or abandonment is incredibly scary for us, you know?
0: Yeah, totally. And then do you say the
1: second part is like, what if I fail at it? Does that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. What happens if they succeed and what happens if you fail?
0: think if I fail it probably it probably it would trigger something about like oh well you you tried to do something that was prideful or something you know Mm -hmm. like this is Mm -hmm. God humbling you or something like that I don't know it would be back of like this was You tried to step out, you know, it'd be like confirming the same thing, but in the opposite direction.
1: Sure. It's more of an internal focus, right? Mm -hmm. Saying like, well, you, it's that those should statements, right? You shouldn't have done this. There's something wrong with you. And now you're going to be judged for it. Mm -hmm. And I think that fear of judgment is pretty deeply ingrained when we grow up religious, We want to do the right thing. We want to make sure that we're thinking the right things and feeling the right things. And if we aren't, it's kind of a reflection that we're not doing our work the right way or that we don't have enough faith. Um, And so I think it's a fear of disappointing and also a fear of disconnection, right? But in this instance, it's more a fear of I'm going to be disconnected from my spiritual provider, you know, from my God and from my faith, and it's going to be my fault. And so it ties back into shame again. There's something wrong with me and I can't fix it.
0: Yeah, yeah. And and now being outside of my faith tradition, but finding spirituality in other ways, mm-hmm. I see the same cycle come back, but with different words, like with the universe or karma. Mm-hmm. And so then if I kind of step out of that, then, then it's because of karma, or it's because mm-hmm. of that wasn't what I was supposed to do. So I think it's so interesting that we we can kind of look at it objectively, and mm-hmm. say, what if we put a different story on that? So like, what would be a way I could creatively change the story I was saying around this in particular, like my value, what I charge, et cetera. What would be sure. a way to rewrite that story in a way that might be more helpful?
1: Yeah. So I like to kind of start with the the kind of non-supportive belief. So in this case, it's I'm afraid that I'll be rejected or I'm going to be rejected because I don't have value right? So if we were to think of kind of an equal but opposite statement to say, even if it feels kind of far away and hard to hold on to, what might that statement be? And so I'm curious what that would be for you, right? Is it my value lies, you know, in my humanity and the way I love my people and it's okay if I don't succeed at this or maybe it's I have my circle of people who love me and so it's okay I can handle some rejection from other people, I don't know like what what feels good and comforting for you there but that would be where I'd start.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think I think kind of like I I accept myself and I'll be disappointed in myself if I don't try something I want to try or my value comes just in being me and there's people that love me no matter what. Yeah, kind of coming back to... I am
1: loved. I am accepted. Yeah. I am. And I like that you mentioned that you value, like you would be disappointed in yourself if you didn't try, because I think being able to connect into what our core values are is so important when we're taking leaps of faith like this, right? Mm -hmm. So if I really value putting myself out there and helping other people and using my voice, even if it doesn't go exactly the way I wanted to, I'm still going to be in alignment with my values because I know that I did something that was important to me. And that gives us a lot of resilience when things go wrong.
0: Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And I think, I think for me too, my, um, the version of me that has those beliefs of rejection or this, if I try this are really rooted in fear. Whereas if you actually were to say, what do you actually believe about creativity mm-hmm. or about growth mm-hmm. I would say well if there if there's a god if there's a universe mm-hmm. it is infinitely creative and wants me to be creative and like fully express myself too so I think even the core of me knows
1: that and it's just those like kind of old programming things sure. yeah Like yeah. it's like an old computer program it just kind of runs constantly in the background And when we're trying to give ourselves new beliefs or try new things, we're installing updates to the system. But sometimes there's gonna be glitches and it's gonna come up again, and that's totally normal and okay.
0: Yeah, totally. If you're feeling burned out or stuck in your creative business, we want to invite you to join our self-paced business coaching course, Danger School. It's full of audio and video lessons, plus a workbook, templates, and coaching examples and assignments. So you can break out of pricing plateaus, reignite your joy in your business, and bring in financial abundance. Our clients have been able to double and triple their revenue, create more space in their personal lives land dream projects, get major features, and give back to their communities. You can download and listen to these lessons on your phone just like this podcast, and we have lots of clients who go back to certain sections again and again when they need to break out of a rut. You can find this course and all of our coaching offerings at dangerschool.com. Now back to our episode. What are some common walls that people start hitting when they have some of this deep ingrained belief? Do you see ones with people in their work or their relationships? Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I know I've mentioned a few too that I see come up for people and for myself, mm-hmm. but what are some that you are like some common ones that people kind of run into as they start this? Sure.
1: I think um, some a couple that I've worked with people around recently are kind of like twofold. One of them is, what if I want to shift my creative expression and try something different or pull back from something that's been really successful for me in the past? What does that say about me? And how do I trust myself if I've put so much energy and effort into one path? And then I kind of feel the pull towards something else um there's a sense of stillness there and like the need for reflection that can be really really challenging if we're not used to that um there's a sense of discomfort and like not being just in action all the time so that's one block I see is uh, the allowance for uncomfortable feelings or kind of dead space or time to actually reflect on things um and then another one is just like putting out new work for people, right? So I've written this song and I've recorded it and I am ready to release it, but I'm going to sit on it for weeks and weeks and weeks because it's not perfect, right? So I think the the perfectionism is a really big one that I see come up. And you probably see that in your coaching work too. People don't want to launch something until it's like exactly right. or They have the exact right words to say about it. Um, and I think it's the sense that like, well, if I don't do something perfectly, it's, it's all or nothing. If it's not perfect, then it's not worth anything. Right. So again, it's a discomfort with how can I do something imperfectly and still be in alignment with my values and doing something that's meaningful.
0: I love it. Both well, people are recognizing some of these walls or fears coming up for mm-hmm. them, do you have any helpful questions or things they can journal on to be, to be like either identifying the root of where that's coming from, or maybe how to
1: help someone rewrite that question or that, that feeling for them. Yeah. So let me make sure I understood the question. So if somebody is feeling some of these particular blocks come up, how can they dig deeper into yeah. it and try yeah. and do that? Um, <clears throat> I like to ask my clients how they can be curious and kind. So it's kind of an different way of expressing radical acceptance. How can I observe what's going on here and how can I be kind to myself and practice self-compassion? And I see the perfectionism and self-judgment come up so much with creative people. And it really blocks us from being able to find any answers or make any movement as like quicksand, right? Mm -hmm. So being able to just say, okay, I am I'm feeling the perfectionism. I'm feeling stuck. I'm feeling blocked. Um, I'm feeling these trauma responses come up. So often we'll be able to name it. And then um, we just judge ourselves for feeling that way in the first place. So giving ourselves some acceptance for it, just saying, this is what's going on. How can I get curious? What else could this be? What else could it be connected to? um where do i feel it in my body how do you, how do i reach out to other people and talk to them about it so practicing some vulnerability with people who feel safe um and then also practicing the self compassion and the kindness piece right if someone else is going through something difficult we usually know how to reach them and express to them that they matter and we care about them and the sun will shine again right so I'll often have my clients like write a letter to themselves as if they were writing it to another person. If you had one of your creative colleagues who was in the exact same position, what would you say to them to remind them of, you know, all that they've accomplished, all that they've come through, what meaning their work has, and then how can you say those things to yourself? So that would be a piece of it. Um, I do think that doing some of the deeper work to untangle all of the core beliefs can be really helpful because we tend to have specific ones that are the loudest that kind of like send little tendrils into lots of areas of our lives so i'll often have clients go man i didn't realize that this one core belief would pop up with so many different costumes on it essentially yeah Uh, and that's work that you can do just by kind of you know you can download lists of core beliefs and see which ones make sense to you Um, I obviously am biased towards therapies that working with a therapist who does kind of complex trauma work can be really helpful. Um, and then lots of like embodiment practices. How do I get in touch with my body and what I'm feeling and validate my own experience in each present moment? That one's a really important one too, I think.
0: Can you give an example of what an embodiment practice is or how to, Um, You know, in in particular, I think people with religious trauma, myself included, tend to be pretty disconnected from our bodies and also have a hard time trusting ourselves or our thoughts or like, Mm -hmm. I can't trust my own thoughts. I can't trust what I want. Mm -hmm. What kind of embodiment work helps someone reconnect with Mm -hmm. with that self-trust
1: or kind of come back into their own body? Sure. One of the first things that I'll usually have people do is start practicing a body scan. So turning their attention from kind of imagine a TSA agent with their wand, kind of going over your body, doing that same thing with your attention multiple times a day. So even in moments where you're not necessarily feeling really big emotions or noticing anything in particular, just to kind of start taking a snapshot of your internal landscape, so to speak. So what do I notice? in my face, are my shoulders up? Is my chest tight? Um, Sometimes maybe we're sitting in an uncomfortable position and we don't realize it. So very, very quick, you know, take 20 seconds to scan down through your body. And then if you feel like your body needs something to do that thing for it, it's like a, it's a relationship. If a kid comes to us and says, I'm thirsty, we're going to give them water. Right. But how often do we sit here at our computers and say, well, I'm thirsty, but I'm not going to get up and give myself water right now. So it can be as simple as my my shoulders are kind of tight. So I'm going to take a couple deep breaths and I'm going to sit back and I'm going to close my eyes for a minute. Okay, these are the things that I feel when I'm a little bit anxious. What kinds of things are making me anxious right now? So we can kind of follow the rabbit trail a little bit, but just starting to check in with ourselves on a consistent basis helps us to build data points to pull from when we're trying to learn how to be in touch with our bodies.
0: I love that. Yeah, I love that because I think, many of us are in a practice of denying our own mm-hmm. body being like no you shouldn't want that or we're going to override mm-hmm. that override that gut feeling or override that pain mm-hmm.
1: just keep going sure there's a fear of like well why should i need why should i need to do this in the first place or what if i realize that i need something and then i do the wrong thing to take care of myself and so i always tell my clients it's a it's a trial and error thing sometimes like you may You may have to get it wrong a few times before you get it right. And that's so normal and so part of the process. And so reminding ourselves to be really gentle. It's okay if I thought I was thirsty and it turns out I wasn't actually thirsty. I was just craving sugar or I was just angry about something. Um, It's the process of doing that that we learn from.
0: What would you say are some of the benefits of putting attention here? So um, like, None of this sounds like super fun, exciting, mm-hmm. you know, cozy work. So but like, mm-hmm. what are some things that can be um, that can grow out of focusing attention here or doing the hard work of, of some of this, like emotional, emotional work, therapy, those kind of things?
1: Sure. So a couple of the big things that I see are. If we have more trust and ability to recognize our own feelings and validate them, we are more able to communicate those with the people around us. So I see this internal work helping people improve their relationships too. When we when we don't know what we want or need or feel or give ourselves a lot of shame and judgment for it, it's much, much harder to ask for what we need from other people or to set boundaries or to put ourselves out there. So once we start building some of that kind of internal relationship and a foundation to stand on, it's so much easier to have that connection with other people and so much easier to deal with discomfort and conflict with other people. So I see it improving relationships and ability to set boundaries. And I do also see it in the way that we put ourselves out there in our work, even if it's not creative work. Um, Being able to speak up in meetings or to trust that like I've done something right, even if someone's annoyed with me or to trust that I haven't done something wrong if someone's annoyed with me. Right. Um, It just gives us a little bit more of a sense of groundedness in our own self to pull from in difficult situations. So it doesn't make them easier. It's not comfy and cozy work. Conflict in relationships is always hard. There's always going to be some fear and imposter syndrome popping up in our work, but it gives us more resilience and like data points to pull from to support us through that.
0: I love that. I love that. Why do you think it's so hard for us to trust ourselves?
1: Mm. I think that we are told from a very young age, whether we grow up religious or not, that we can't really trust ourselves, Um, especially if what we're thinking or feeling comes across as a weakness or like we're not just happy. We have such a happiness epidemic in the world, but in our country as well, we're just supposed to be happy and successful and on all the time, and it's not realistic. And so we, we don't have a lot of emotional language for what's going on inside of us. And there's a lot of stigma around having a hard time with things. So I think that's a big piece of it. Um, I think we've also probably all had the experience where we've thought that we trusted ourselves or knew what was right for us. And then it turns out we were wrong or it didn't go the way we wanted to. And our brains are not wired for happiness. They're wired for survival. So our brains are going to remember the times that we messed up and hold that up and say, okay, well, last time you did this, it went poorly. We're not going to necessarily try and learn from it. We're going to try and avoid it in the future. So I think that's a big piece of it, too. Um, We, as humans, we've all experienced failure and disappointment and loss and grief and all of those really difficult things. Um, And we want to avoid it in the future. And so we tell ourselves, I can't go near that.
0: (laughs) Yeah. We tell ourselves if we do everything exactly how we're Mm -hmm. supposed to, we won't experience that. Or if we follow X, Y, Z path or what someone else says, we won't experience pain. Sure. Instead of just kind of accepting that's part of the human experience and it happens no matter what.
1: (laughs) For me, I've kind of tried to reconceptualize trusting myself, not as, I can trust myself to be happy all the time, right? Like, I think that's part of it is we think if we trust ourselves and things are just going to go well for us, but can I trust myself to sit with uncomfortable feelings? Yes, I can, because I have a lot of data points for it. Doesn't make it any less uncomfortable, but there's more of a knowledge there. Um, can I trust myself to communicate accurately? Maybe not all of the time, but I can do it enough of the time that it's going to be Okay. Right. So I don't know. I don't know exactly where I'm going with that, but I think shifting, you know, why we're trying to trust ourselves is also a piece of the puzzle.
0: Yeah. What about when this comes to community? Like how does, um, either religious experiences or, um, purity culture or kind of unwinding some of that show up in our friendships or in our community? And is there anything we can do to kind of like rebuild trust where maybe it was broken?
1: Sure. Yeah, I think um, I think one of the challenging things, especially in this part of the country, we're in the Bible Belt right now. So um, faith communities are really, really large and really strong here and leaving a faith or even questioning faith can feel like we're putting ourselves into outsider status. Um, It can be hard to know where to find a community when community's has always been a pre-made thing for us. And when community has been pre-made in a way that you had to kind of fit a certain mold to be accepted into. So it's both really exciting for a lot of people to feel like I can be myself and just like, you know, not put a mask on when I'm around people. But it can also be really scary because we don't know what we're looking for or how to express ourselves in that way. So... um I think it's a trial and error thing, as most things are. I always encourage people to think about the things that they value and enjoy doing, like what what kinds of things make you feel alive and joyful and connected and in service and go there. And you will probably find other people who are also there for those reasons and who you'll be able to connect with on that level. So that's a piece of it. Um, As far as like working through the hurt that can come from relationships, I think one of the questions that we got about this was, is it healthy to have a, is it possible to have a healthy relationship with someone who believes you're going to hell? Uh, And I thought that was such a big question. Um, And this I think is more of like an individual basis kind of thing, Um, trying to recognize what our ability is to express and be vulnerable about any hurt that's been caused um, with a person that believes those things. And a willingness to kind of sit in the tension and discomfort with them until something new can come out of it. I do think it can be possible to have a healthy relationship with someone who believes that. Um, Healthy doesn't necessarily mean without pain, though. And so I think we all have to decide where our threshold is for being in close contact with someone who's maybe very vocally saying things that feel hurtful to us. Does that answer the question at all? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm
0: would you be open to sharing about kind of like starting
1: deconstructing
0: or how you kind of like pulled that thread?
1: Sure. Yeah. So um, my deconstructing started in college. Um, I won't get into all of the details here, but my now husband and I were pushed out and excommunicated from a church that we attended together in college, um, for questioning some of the ways that they did things and beliefs that they had. And so that experience of being kind of pushed out of a church and having a lot of people that we thought were very close to us, kind of cut us off, brought up a lot of feelings of hurt and anger and sadness. And just like, what are we even doing with all of this? Um, it was through kind of questioning, you know, okay, if I want to stay with a faith, why do I want to do it? What about this is important to me? Can I overcome this level of hurt that kind of sparked a lot of the questioning for me? So that was kind of the catalyst for me. Um, Another big piece for me personally was going through um, my master's degree for counseling and starting to work with a lot of people who were very different than me, who had very different belief systems a lot of people who were very oppressed by religious or political systems and really being able to hear their stories and understand where they were coming from. So I think, um, I don't know if that answers your question exactly, but pulling that into starting my own business, I think that I think it was fear and imposter syndrome. Like we've talked about so much today already. What are people going to think of me? Do I have anything valuable to offer? Even marketing myself as a therapist who works with religious trauma or a therapist who isn't religious in this part of the country felt very scary um, because it's kind of out of the norm. And so I was like, well, no one's going to come and see me. I'm putting it out there. Now they know it's a vulnerable thing. Yeah. Um, but I think putting ourselves out there in any way is kind of vulnerable, whether we're doing it in a therapy business or in a creative business. Um I don't know it's it's a it's a vulnerable thing to allow ourselves to be seen for who we truly are and I think that's one of the gifts that can come with working through a deconstruction journey or a religious trauma experience is being able to feel more connected and sure of who we are And when we're more sure of that we can put it out there to the world
0: yeah that was so good thank you for sharing that as a kid I had a um yardstick that I that I wrote all like all these different fruits of the spirit on and I kind of was like at some point I'll have all of them down and I'll be perfect <laughs> mm-hmm. and used to just kind of like stare at it and beat myself up for not being there yet you know and just imagining that at some point I would be and so I think that that's I can see how that plays into different parts of, you know, perfectionism and
1: creative yeah. work too. and That like, sense of like, well, maybe someday I'll arrive at being enlightened or having all of the fruits of the spirit down or never, mm-hmm. you know, thinking a sinful thought again, right? Yeah. Um, and it's kind of the opposite of free expression and creativity, right? Because there is no, it's like when we have our values, right? If I value being kind, I'm never going to arrive at a place where I just don't need to be kind anymore. That is an ongoing thing to practice each day. And it's kind of the same with Practicing vulnerability or creativity too, you know, we have to do it in an ongoing way. We're never going to arrive at it. And that's how it should be. That is as it is. But it's kind of the opposite of what we're taught from a young age in our culture and our society. There's this idea that if you do X, Y, Z, you will arrive and then you will be good. But we never arrive. It's a false, it's a false illusion, you know? Yeah, totally. I actually think
0: this might be helpful to talk about too, is um, when I started deconstructing my faith, which had been such a huge pillar of my my framework for life and what made me a good person or not a good person. It was this massive foundation, Mm -hmm. this whole kind of everything was built on it. You know, my friend group, my work, my Mm -hmm. relationships, my marriage, everything was Mm -hmm. on this foundation. I think the first thing that started changing for me was my own core value work Mm -hmm. of what do I really value as a person? And one of the biggest things was how, how people are treated and inclusivity. Mm -hmm. And it started really bumping up against my faith tradition. Mm -hmm. And I had to choose between my kind of authentic code, my Mm -hmm. values, my core values as a person and um, the thing that I had always known and that was a big, a big moment for me, but also mm-hmm. I I've never experienced anything else like this. I don't know if you felt this, where it felt like the, the ground had fallen out from mm-hmm. underneath me. I was floating and like, yeah. I had no sense of like grounding or, mm-hmm. or kind of what the truth was, you know, it was just kind of a weird
1: an existential crisis that hasn't yeah. stopped since then, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I felt the same way, you know, because it is such a foundation. If you grow up with any kind of cultural or faith tradition, it does feel like that is the foundation you build everything else upon. So if you take one of those out, then it does make us feel like we're kind of floating in space. I love that you mentioned core values again, because I think that allowing ourselves to do some of that values work and then allowing those values to shift and change as we're doing our healing is really important. So I'll usually do it with my clients at the beginning of the time we work together and then kind of like every so often after that, every six months or every year after that, where are you at now? Do these things still hold true for you or has something else become more important? Um, because it's a thing that we can hold on to, right? And I think also reminding ourselves or trying to find community or remind ourselves of the people in our life who are there, even if they're not necessarily in the same old belief system we were, that can be something we can hold on to as well. It could be our work. It could be our children, right? I think the values are the deepest piece of that, though. What is important to me? And like you said, if it's if what's really authentically important to you is in contradiction to something you've always believed, you can change what you believe if you want to. It's just a scary process to do that.
0: Yeah, yeah. It was kind of like a true north. It was Mm -hmm. something that was really comforting as I went through that process because when it does feel like the whole ground falls out from underneath you, coming back to like, well, what do I know Mm -hmm. I really value and using that as kind of a -hmm. a light to shine on everything else was comforting and also started letting me build new frameworks around Mm -hmm. who I was as a person, what I wanted to do from there. So um so if someone is kind of in that place, or even if you're, even if you're not, even if it's not a deconstruction, um, some of that core values work has been, mm-hmm. so, you know, we do it with our clients. Every time we do business coaching, yeah. every time we do a, a program, because it can, it can really bring you back to a place of this is what I know is important to me. Mm-hmm. And I can make these decisions off of that foundation mm-hmm. instead of kind of building it on someone else's foundation
1: yes and that's what i like to tell my clients all the time is that you may decide to rebuild your foundation to be very similar to the one that just kind of combusted on you and that's also okay like like you said kind of at the beginning of this faith and spirituality is a really beautiful thing and it's really healing to a lot of people um i think we all have a sense of spiritual connection to something outside of ourselves um whatever we call it there's a sense of connection there And so I think a lot of people think, well, if I left the church or if I'm questioning this, I can't ever go back, right? I can't ever come back around. And you absolutely can. But the difference is that it gets to be your choice and you get to do it in a way that you know is aligned with your values and the things that are important to you.
0: I love that. Well, if people are looking for resources from you are looking for or to be connected with a therapist that does the kind of work that you do, um, where can find where can people find you on the Internet or are there any resources or tools mm-hmm. you want to uh, point people to?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I'm available um, as a resource. Um, there's a website called Reclamation Collective, and they have a directory of therapists that specialize in working with religious trauma and faith transitions in every state. So that can be a good place to start. Um, Googling religious trauma can be helpful. Um, I like to search on Instagram, too, if people are into social searching things like ex-evangelical or trans, you know, deconversion. De- um Things kind of related to faith transitions, religious trauma will pop up, lots of resources and people who share both educational information and also more personal information. So it can be a way to learn more and also to find community. Um, I think there's also a couple of coaching groups um, based out of Nashville that can see people outside of the state that are focused on treating religious trauma as well.
0: Awesome. Well, and how can people connect with you? Are you on Instagram? Are you have a website? How can people connect with you online?
1: I, I have both. So my website is www.olivebranchtherapy.net. And my um, Instagram is at symbol olive underscore therapy. So if you search olive branch therapy, you'll see me pop up. Um, I'm a little bit sporadic on there depending on the season of life I'm in, but I do like to share and connect with people and things like this.
0: Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. I'm glad we got to dive into this conversation. And if you're listening and feel confused by anything we said or offended by anything we Mm -hmm. said, we're, you feel free to message me. Yeah, Mm -hmm. we will chat about it. We um, definitely aren't trying to uh, hurt anyone's faith tradition or anything like that, but
1: it's a very tender and vulnerable thing to talk about or to question. So we are both here to be curious and kind if anything comes up for you.
0: Well, thanks for being on this podcast and can't wait to keep seeing all the work that you're doing out in the world, Rose. Thank you so much. This episode was produced and edited by the lovely Jen Madigan Creative. Music for this episode was written and recorded by Jamie Lono and Shammy D. Thanks for being part of our Dangerous Creatives podcast community, and we'll see you again next time.